Well, where is Pastor Eddie? I want him to know I signed up, so I hope you've done that. If you didn't sign up, you still can, and just turn this in the back. You do need to be in a small group and to be praying with other Christians, to be supported by them, to be learning from them. So there's still opportunity to do that, and we're going to remind you again next week. So I uh, hope you're signed up to be in one of our 40-day spiritual adventure groups. We'll try to have a time uh, for you to be in a group. How are you doing today? I want to say uh, thank you to uh, Jill and to Pastor Eddie and to all of you who are part of our Artemisia and all of you are part of our parent projects. And as I was sitting here watching, uh, tears kind of filled my eyes because uh, Joyce and I know what it's like to have sons who are wild teenagers. But I need to say something else. I think the Spirit has impressed me. My parents know what it's like to have a son that they thought was going to burn in hell uh, for the way he was living when he was a teenager. And so there is hope, and uh, you're on the right path. Uh, Reach out in love. uh, You're you're just doing some great things, and our hearts are thrilled that you're here today, and we want uh, you to be blessed. Well, we've got a big problem, a really big problem. Um... You're going to see the big problem in a minute. There we go. Uh, How would you like to be walking down, uh, I don't know, New York, street in New York, and see that elephant coming? That'd be a big problem, wouldn't it? Or if you can read the kid on the bicycle, he says, what do you mean I have to pedal? Big problem. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, and you really are intent in following him, I would like for you to raise your hand and repeat after me. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you would raise your hand, I'm going to give you a few words. First word is my. Uh, I'm sorry. We have a big problem. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, the question really is... Um, What should Christians be known for? This past summer, one of the books I read, the book that upset me the most, actually, is a book called Unchristian. And it's written by a young man in his 30s named David Kinnaman. He is a Christian, a strong follower of Jesus. He loves the church. He loves the Lord. And he works for a national research group. In fact, he's been made president of Barna Research. Smart young man. And someone asked him to do some research, and he did it, and he was so convicted by this research, he said, I have got to put out a message to the church. We've got a big problem. And his research was on what he calls a group of people called mosaics or busters. That's generally speaking people from the age of 16 to the age of 41. He primarily looked at young people from the age of 16 to 29. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again in a minute. Do you have a family member, maybe it's a son or daughter, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew? Do any of you have a family member that is between the age of 16 and 40 or 41? Most of us do, okay? Now, I want you to think about those people or that person because that's who I'm talking about, okay? Now, David did some research with outsiders. He wanted to know what people outside the church thought of Christians. And this guy does research for a living. He knows what he's doing. And he's written a book. And uh, there are so many things in the book I'd like to share. You'll hear from me again on this subject. But 
in the book, he lists some perceptions that people who are outside of Christianity, their perceptions of Christianity or Christians, of you and me. Now, the interesting thing is that these perceptions are also pretty prevalent of those within the church, our own kids that age. But we're talking about outsiders. Here's perception number one, the first one. People outside the church who are age 16 to 29 think Christians say one thing, but they live differently from what they say. Perception. Christians are insincere and concerned only about converting others. Perception. Christians show contempt for gays and lesbians. Perception. Christians are boring, unintelligent, old-fashioned, and out of touch with reality. Perception. Christians are primarily motivated. This is a very interesting one right now. Christians, these young people think, are primarily motivated by a political agenda and promote right-wing politics. And I don't want you to be too upset, so I'll just share one more. Christians are prideful and quickly point out the faults of others. Now, when they talk to this group of people outside the church, 90-plus percent of them only think negatively about Christians. It's over 90 percent, a negative. Now, I come back to the question, what should people outside the church think about followers of Christ? Should it be positive or negative? I mean, I think it should be positive. I think the one we follow said, they will know, the outsiders will know, we are Christians by our what? Our love. And so I think we've got a big problem. Now, this morning I want to talk to you a bit about um, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. We are trying to connect 360 here at First Baptist. I need to set this up, so I'm going to disappear here. Um, there we go. We're trying to connect 360, and we talked earlier about um, Jackie was doing artwork last week, and I got jealous. <laughs> Bunny, why are you laughing at me? You're not laughing with me because I'm not laughing. I'm working hard. Uh, anyhow, we started off talking about Connect 360 by, by talking about the fact that God loves us. And I, I said that if you don't understand God loves you, you're going to have trouble doing what we talk about, loving others. You have to receive love in order to give love. And so we talked, and I really emphasized, understand God loves you. Receive God's love. Now, when you've received God's love, the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, was to what? It was to love the Lord your God. We just sang about that. And so the idea is we get God's love and we, we love God back. And so we, we receive it from God and we give it back to God. We love the Lord our God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It would be nice if it did. We could just come to church, have a good time, go live our life. But there's another factor here. Don't laugh. See, Jackie, I can do art. Um, anyhow, so this is another person here, and we are to what? 
We are to love others. And so we receive the love from God, we love God back, but we're all supposed to reach out and love others. And I want to talk to you about that today. Now, I've called this the fine art of friendship because I think loving really is an art. And if you have a little outline, you can look in that outline and we'll talk about that for a moment. I, I say the fine art of friendship because I think several things are needed if you're going to love others. It's a skill. You have to have a certain ability if you're going to love others well. If, if I said to Jill this morning, Jill, where on earth did you get those clothes? I mean, good grief. That's not a very skillful thing to say to Jill, is it? I mean, we're not going to have a strong friendship based on that kind of response. Now, who cut your hair? You're, you know, those kind of things aren't going to get you off towards a good friendship. We understand that. So there is a, a fine art to friendship. You have to have some skill, some ability, uh, doing things right instead of wrong. Also, if you're going to practice the fine art of friendship, you need creativity. You need variety, you need fun, you need energy to practice the fine art of friendship. You need to be creative. And you also need flexibility. And people who are inflexible tend to have less friends than people who are flexible. So you need some flexibility. I was talking to a friend this week and uh, was teasing her, actually, about some election things. And she happens to be a big supporter of Barack Obama. And she got to talking about politics, and she said, you know, I had some friends come over for dinner the other night, and this family's a Republican family. And they started talking to me, and she said, I didn't really want to go there because I value our friendship. So then she got this long email trying to persuade her to be a Republican. And she said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. She said, these are great friends, but I don't want to get into debate with them. They're not going to change their mind. I'm not about to change my mind. And so she sent him an email back and said, you know, I'd love to talk politics with you, but I value our friendship more than some pain over this election, and so I'm not going to engage on this discussion with you. And she sent that email. And she said the woman sent an email back and said, uh, we really love you. And that was it. Well, that was an artful way for her to come at what potentially could have been a, a problem in their relationship. And as we talk about this this morning, I can't give you, you know, the five rules to friendship or loving your neighbor. It takes skill, it takes creativity, it takes flexibility. But I do want to talk to you about this issue of loving your neighbor. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may think, well, I I don't need to do that. Or if you are a follower, you may say, I've got enough friends. I don't need to have more people in my life. I've got plenty of people in my life. Let me share with you some words of Scripture. Because this is not a small matter we're talking about. First of all, the man Moses. Uh, Who would be willing to just stand up and off the screen read this passage? Robin, thank you. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Great. And someone read the next one. These are the words of Jesus. Okay, that's the one we've sung about. Now, the early Christians picked up on this idea, and as Scripture was written, many other people talked about it. I've just chosen three. Of course, Paul wrote about it in many places, but let's read the words of Paul. He says, for the whole law is summed up in this commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, do you know what the royal law is? The Bible talks about a royal law, and that's by James. And James says this, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law. According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. And then, of course, uh, John wrote these words, and I'll read them to you in 1 John. And the word love comes up over and over in 1 John. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters. Now, I just want you to know that this business of loving the Lord is not an option, and the business of loving your neighbor is not an option. You don't really get to vote if you're a follower of Christ. Now, not to get too political, but there's a big phrase going around, drill, baby, drill, right? Did you hear that? Well, we're going to drill. I'm taking, taking the advice. We're going to drill down a little deeper. What does it mean to love your neighbor? What does that really look like in real time? Now, when Jesus lived here, he got asked this question a lot, and he was asked, what are the great, what's the summary of the commandments? What's the greatest commandment? And you, you know the answer as well as I. And as he t- said it's to love God and to love your neighbor, uh, an attorney one time pushed him on that and said, I'd like to lo- know a little more. Who is my neighbor? And you remember the story. You all know it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Interesting, Jesus didn't say, well, your neighbor is, and tell him. He told him a story. So the guy had to go kind of figure it out. And you remember the story. The uh, man was traveling between two towns. He got beat up by the robbers. He's laying there half dead. The Baptist preacher comes by and won't help him. And the Lutheran preacher comes by and he won't help him. And the Catholic comes by and he won't help him. But uh, the Muslim guy comes by and he helps him. That's really not exactly how it goes, but you could read it that way. A man comes by and he helps him. And Jesus said... The Good Samaritan was the neighbor. And it kind of brings up that idea that the person in need that you can help, that's your neighbor. And so this morning, I I want to dig down a little deeper and say that when we love our neighbor, we are to love the least of these. That's what Jesus teaches. Now, who are the least of these? Well, when Jesus was uh, teaching one time, he He sort of rolled back the curtain and allowed us to to look ahead to see what the judgment is going to be like. And the good people and the bad people are going to be divided up. He called it the sheep and the goats. I never liked that illustration because I love goats. But uh, they're divided up. And as people are coming into heaven, Jesus is saying, come on in. You gave me a cup of cold water. Come in. Uh, I was naked and you clothed me. Come on in. You know, I was hungry one time, and you fed me. Come on in. And these people are coming into heaven, scratching their heads, saying, I never saw Jesus naked. I never saw him hungry. You ever see Jesus thirsty? I never did. And so they say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or naked or thirsty or in need? And you know the answer, don't you? In in Matthew 25, 40, he said, when you did it to who? The least of these. Brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. You did it to me. When you reached out to the least of these, you did it to me. Now, I think there's probably somebody in your life that you are reaching out to or you could be reaching out to. You might say they're in that category. Uh, Our dear brother David Scholler passed away last month. 
And when we had the visitation for him in the chapel, many, many people were coming to say hi to Jeanette and greet her and pay their respects. And a, a gentleman came in, and he was dressed differently than most people. And I introduced myself to him, and he spoke to me and gave me his name, but his head was down, and I didn't hear his name. So he signed the guest register and went on in and greeted Jeanette and spent some time. And I went over, and I read the name on the guest register, and then I read these words. He had his name, and he said, Dr. Scholler, you always said hello to me, and you knew my name. Now, this is not a Fuller student. It's not a professor at Fuller. It's not a teaching assistant at Fuller. It's not somebody David had to socialize with at all. But he took the time to see this person, and he knew his name. And it touched this gentleman. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying when I talk about loving the least of these? And are there, there are those kinds of people in your life, when, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, some of that love is going to be given to those who we might call the least of these. And, and we could give many other examples. Now, as we talk about loving others, it's going to get tougher. It's actually kind of easy to do, to, to love the least of these. Let's put our movie star back up here. When we talk about um, loving the least, in one sense, you could say that's loving down. And when we love, when the Good Samaritan helped this person, he was helping somebody that couldn't help themselves. He was reaching out to someone in lesser circumstances than he was. We could put it that way. Now, that has its challenges, but that's about the easiest kind of love we're going to talk about today. So are you ready? Are you ready? When you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be loving the least of these, but that's not all. You're also going to love the most of these. You're going to have to love up. Now, some of us are better at one of these than the other. What do I mean when I say you have to love up? There's a great story in the Bible that illustrates this, and I'll give you a couple other examples. In the Bible, the first king of Israel was King Saul. Great big guy. I suppose he was great to look at. He looked like a king. He became a king. He was a great king for a while. He had a son, and his son's name was Jonathan, and he was also a great guy. And in those days, just like today, the father rules and then the son rules. You're not with me. That was supposed to be a joke. Anyhow, in the kingships, you know, the king becomes king, and then the prince becomes king a little later on. And uh, in a democratic system, that would never happen, I know. But uh, anyhow, Jonathan was to be the next king. Stay with me. Let's get back to Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan was to be the next king. His dad, King Saul, was king. He's the prince. He's a great guy. He's going to be the next king. Now, it just so happened there was this scruffy little kid that uh, showed up one day in a war, and he actually beat this giant, and he became very famous. His name, of course, is David. And as David worked in Saul's army and in Saul's kingdom, he became more and more popular and more and more popular, and the Bible says everybody loved David. Where does that leave Jonathan? Well, the story is Jonathan, of course, knew David because David was in the palace all the time, hung out there. They knew each other. And Jonathan and David became friends. They did stuff together. And actually, Jonathan had the wisdom to see, you know what? My dad's become corrupt as a king. 
and he's going to go off the scene, and it looks like God's anointing is on David, I think he's going to be the next king. And you know what? Jonathan was okay with that. And in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter um, 18, verse 1, we read these words. When David had finished speaking to Saul, and the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loved David as himself. He was able to love up. He was able to love someone who could have been his rival. He was able to love someone who he could have been in competition with. Are you following me at all? Let me give you a personal example. I don't have, I don't think I know anybody that's super famous, but if I did, I don't think I'd have trouble loving a famous person. I know some people that I think are rich. I don't have trouble loving rich people. I, ha- I know lots of people that have better cars or houses or clothes than I do. I don't have trouble loving them. I don't have trouble loving guys that beat me on the bicycle. I have a little bit of trouble, but I'll try next time. You know, I don't really have trouble loving lots of people that are the most, that are better than me. But you know who I can't stand? I shouldn't say it that way. You know who I have trouble loving? I really can't stand Joel Olstein. See, it'd be easy for me to be jealous of Joel. He stands up there, his eyes are closed, he talks about his mother all the time, and he's got the biggest church in America. And it's easy for me to be jealous and say, well, Lord, what's he doing that I'm not doing? And so then be critical and just kind of write him off. Are you with me at all? You see, when other people are successful, most of it, we can love them fine. But when it's they're successful at something we'd like to be successful at or more successful at, that's when it becomes tough to love the most of these. Are you with me or do you need more help here? You're with me. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you you may be loving down sometimes, if I can put it that way. You may have to love up sometimes, if I can put it that way, because that's what Jonathan did. He's such an amazing example of accepting God's will and saying, hey, David, if God's hand is upon you, my hand is on you, God bless you. And he loved him. He rejoiced with him. So I want to challenge you, who, who in your life is, if you're the Jonathan, they're the David. And you need to love them because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's one more. I said it's going to get harder, didn't I? There's one more dimension to this love thing, and I'm going to put up the word, if I can spell, worst. We're to love the worst of these. Now, what do I mean by the worst of these? Well, I've got some good examples here. You all know Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus was preaching that sermon, he said, he quoted Leviticus, and he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, do what to your enemies? You all know that. Love your who? Love the worst among us. Love your enemy. And then, that wasn't enough. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Can you imagine? Now, what's the example? Well, the example is Jesus himself. He died on the cross not for his sin. He's the sinless Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. Evil men put him to death on the cross. I'd be kind of upset. What'd Jesus say? You know the prayer. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's the example of someone who loved the worst among us. Now, you're you're saying, well, that's Jesus. I can't be like that. That's Jesus. Of course he'd do that. He had to. God's son and all. Well, let's play that out a little bit. 
not long after Jesus died on the cross, not very long at all, Jesus went back to heaven, the church started, and there in that church in Jerusalem, they got too busy, and they needed help setting up tables before the meals and tearing them down afterwards, and they just needed more manpower. So the deacons signed up, and Stephen was one of those, and he helped set up tables and take down tables and do whatever was needed. And he also liked to teach the Bible, and he was an amazing Bible teacher. So he got to preaching, and he preached so well, he got in trouble. He offended people. You know what happened to Stephen, right? They took him outside, and they stoned him to death. And as he was dying, here are his words. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now get this part. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. I think he was loving the worst of these. A book I'm going to refer to over and over also is Amish Grace, the story of the Nickel Mines tragedy where the eight little girls were murdered in Pennsylvania. And the Amish people immediately went to the wife's home, the wife of the shooter, and said, we want to help you, and paid for the funeral of her husband who had murdered the girls. That's loving the worst among us. I also want to show you a video clip taken from a true story. And this is a story of a Roman Catholic nun who, who loves prisoners. She loves ugly, mean prisoners. And so watch this and listen to the words as we watch this video clip of a nun reaching out to a man who is a murderer and he's about to die. We have a big problem. We have a big problem. Ninety percent of the young people outside this church think negatively about you if they know you're a Christian. I'm just wondering this morning if you might be willing to be the face of love. Maybe you could be the face of love for someone that we would call the least of these. Perhaps God's calling you to be the face of love for someone we might call the most of these. I'll bet there's somebody in your life right now. You might even say, that's the worst of these. But you need to be the face of love to that person. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? I'd like you to find your worship folder. And in it, there's this notes, the notes that we've been going over. And I'd like to ask you to do something. I'd like you to promise between yourself and God you're going to do this today. I'd like you to take that note sheet, and I would like for you... It's going to be hard to do because you're going to intend to do it, but forget. I know how it goes. (laughs) Put it in your pocket or your wallet or your purse. But I'd like you to take this note sheet, and I'd like you to make a commitment right now that I'm going to put that note sheet on my computer screen or my steering wheel or my refrigerator door or my mirror or the microwave somewhere where I'll see it every day. And what I want you to do is to read what I'm about to read every day this week, seven times. You see, the problem we have when we want to love someone else Our biggest problem is ourself. We judge them. We think they're unworthy of love. We we, we have something against them. And so we don't love them like Jesus taught us to love them. If you'll read this every day this week, it's going to help you move beyond yourself to actually do what Jesus says, to love your neighbor. Let me read it to you and we'll conclude. There is someone I know and love, even though I don't approve of all that he does. 
There is someone I accept, even though some of his thoughts revolt me. There is someone I forgive, even though he hurts the people I love the most. That someone is me. There are plenty of things that I do that I don't like. But if I can love myself without approving of all that I do, then I can also love someone else without approving all they do. As that truth has been absorbed into my life, it has changed the way I view people. C.S. Lewis. Would you stand with me? As we leave here in a moment, I want you to go. And I want you to practice the fine art of friendship. You can do it. Practice your art. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, you are here. Your word is here. Your spirit is here. Jesus, you are here. Thank you for these moms and dads and children who have pushed through to embrace love. Your love for them their love for their children, their love for their parents. Thank you, and we pray your big blessing on them today. May it be a true celebration, and as they go home to continue to do the hard part of living, be with them, encourage them, bless their children, bless these teenage girls and teenage boys. Thank you for them, dear God. Thank you for Jill and Pastor Eddie and Katie and all the leaders for Artemisa's teaching. Bless them richly. Lord, we confess that sometimes we've not been very loving towards others. Part of the reason young people don't like the church is they see our own hypocrisy, our own distance, our own judgmentalism. Oh God, help us to love ourselves well this week and to love others well this week and most of all to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been great to worship with you in the house of the Lord. Go in the power and the presence of Christ to love one another. Amen. We've got a great big cake for you, and I want those who are on the front row, go on out right away and grab some of the special cake. Jill's made a beautiful cake. Take a look at it. Thank you very much. The Lord bless.